from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A love of farming has to start somewhere. And they were gonna let him die and my wife, she says she couldn't let him go. Meet a young Louisiana farmer with big plans for the future, saving human lives. We need a sustainable, renewable source of organs from something else other than humans dying. Are animals the answer to that? I think animals are the answer to that. How science is turning to pigs for solutions. A developing story we're following after a massive fire erupts at a Texas chicken plant, while the West Coast prepares to get drenched. We do expect a fairly active El Nino-driven storm track for the next several days. Will it make a dent in the drought? The latest right now on Ag Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. It could be an intense week of weather as an atmospheric river hits the west coast. High winds, heavy mountain snowfall, and possible flooding are expected from California to British Columbia. Now, flood watches are in place starting Thursday across Northern California and lasting into Friday for Central California. Further south, flood watches last into Friday morning. More than 6 million people across Western California and Oregon are facing wind alerts with winds of up to 75 miles per hour. Parts of the Sierra Nevada mountain range could see up to three feet of snow. In the mid to late winter during El Nino, it is quite typical to see an increase in storminess across California and the southwestern United States. And that's what we're seeing play out in real time with the first of at least three significant weather systems bearing down on the Pacific coast. And Rippy says this storm could help with drought issues that continue to linger across the country. Now for the south, we do have to consider the fact that there is some lingering drought, but Additional storminess starting Friday and into the weekend should help to alleviate the drought situation even more. And in fact, some areas, including the Western Gulf Coast region, are actually a little closer to flood issues right now, as we do see some lowland river flooding ongoing from the previous event that hit the Western Gulf Coast region. Meanwhile, 130 daily temperature records, both highs and lows, could be broken across the U.S. this week. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht continuing to track this atmospheric river and joins us with more on the timeline of things. Matt. Yeah, moving forward, we got a chance of some rainfall into Texas, Oklahoma, as we were just talking about or heard about a little bit ago. There's actually two systems that we're going to be keeping an eye on across the United States. The first one is going to be more of a traditional low pressure system working across the United States, picking up some Gulf coast moisture. Now, the second one that's set to come through, now, the energy can actually be uh, connected to a west coast storm that's going to scoot underneath a ridge of high pressure developing here to the north and bring rainfall back down here to the south and to the east. So the reason why we have a cutoff between uh, a lot of rainfall back down here to the south and southeast and a very little rain into parts of Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio and the northeast. That's where that ridge of high pressure is going to be located as this low cuts underneath and to the south. Again, a pretty unusual pattern. Now, coming up in a little bit, we'll actually take a look at the jet stream, give you a little bit better perspective on this pattern that is going to be going on not only the next seven days, uh, but into next week and the next 10 days as well. 
We're following a developing story out of Bryan, Texas, where authorities are investigating a massive fire at a chicken plant. It happened at the Feathercrest Chicken Farm, a broiler operation late Monday. A pillar of smoke and huge flames were seen for miles as multiple fire departments rushed to the scene. The Brazos County Sheriff's Office says they got a call about 5 p.m. Now they say the tall metal buildings were collapsing, making it too dangerous to send firefighters inside. No word yet on how the blaze started. However, there's concern the facility could smolder for several days. Authorities say no injuries were reported. Happening right now, the farmer protests in Europe are expanding. On Monday, French farmers took to Paris streets to deliver their message. Farmers using hay bales and tractors to snarl traffic and block highways leading to the capital city. Last week, new Prime Minister Gabriel Attal attempting to roll out new pro-agriculture measures. Producers say it's not enough sending convoys of equipment now to Paris. Signs saying no farmers, no food on full display as many prepare to stay put until meetings in Brussels later this week. French farmers blaming falling incomes on higher prices for fertilizer, energy and other inputs, adding that France's farming sector is overregulated by environmental laws and hurt by food imports from other countries. Well, it was Turnaround Tuesday for commodity markets. We'll dig into what's driving this price action coming up next. And later, meet the pigs that could one day save human lives. An in-depth look at the innovative farm at the forefront of science after weather. We saw a Tuesday turnaround in grains. I guess Michelle Rook talks with Dwayne Bussey about how the funds have been selling on strength right now in markets now. Starting us with markets, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. And Dwayne, these grains, it seems like the funds have been relentless sellers on just about every rally. Uh, does that continue, do you think? Sadly, I think it does. And I think we saw it already early this week. The funds continue to pile into the short side, even though if you combine them, I think we're like the second largest short ever I read. But uh, I think corn's around that, what, 260,000 contracts. And I'm kind of worried with this setup, Michelle, that they could go challenge the 320,000 record short from back in 2019. I mean, you got this carry in the market, a big ending stock for us. Brazil's ahead of normal schedule for planting their second crop corn. I just, I can't even find a bullish spark to really make us make much of a dead cap bounce here. I was going to say it is going to take some major bullish sort of catalyst to get the funds out of that near record short position in all the greens then, right? Right, exactly. I mean, it, you know, them being record short, is that bullish or bearish? And in, in one way, you can say it's a little bit friendly because at some point in time, they will get out of it. But to back up a little bit, they just got short where they were long for several years during this nice bull cycle. And I'm not saying they could be short for years, but you do need some sort of bullish spark. But you can give me something next spring, you know, drought in Iowa. I don't, I don't know what it'll be. There'll be some bullish news. And just the short covering rally alone will be significant. Now, I'm not saying hold all your supplies and don't sell anything waiting for that because the funds are obviously short and very comfortable right now. Yeah, and they keep, like I said, selling on every rally because they also are getting negative news out of China and Brazil at this point, which we were trying to hold our, hang our head on that at one time. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, China's demand just doesn't look very good. Their economy doesn't look good. Uh, and then, yeah, Brazil, you know, we, we try to get a weather scare going there. And I keep thinking, well, maybe, you know, 70% of their corn is the second crop corn, which is just being planted now. So to me, we should still have some weather premium, but 
even that's planting's going ahead of pace. So that's even negative right now too. So we just can't throw any news at this market to make these funds nervous being short. And like I said, if that's the case, if you're making money by being short, why not stay short or even add to the short positions? That's why I think they're gonna keep doing that. Okay, thanks for joining us. We Bussie Bolt Marketing. We'll have more updates for now. Now here's a look at what we have going on with the uh, two systems. One is going to be exiting uh, into our Wednesday afternoon, our Wednesday night, while the other one gets set on the West Coast. But check out the jet stream pattern uh, before I put this into motion. You got the lines dipping down here to the south. So that's that clipper system, that low pressure system, and that trough developing on the East Coast. And then a ridge of high pressure with these lines scooting up here to the north. And there's a big difference in the temperatures uh, both on Wednesday and Thursday, depending on if you're dominated by this trough or the ridge. A good 30 degree difference depending on where you're located. So what's going to end up happening uh, Thursday and into Friday, uh, this ridge will start to sag back down here to the south, draw in another weak clipper system back up into the northeast Thursday and into Friday. But the ridge that develops after that, see how far north these lines go? A bit unusual. Uh, typically this time of year, uh, you don't get these strong ridges. And if you do, a lot of the energy, the bottleneck starts to happen and the uh, low pressure system, the troughs, really can't work their way across the United States because they can't go through the ridge. They usually have to go up and over. What makes this uh, case a little bit more interesting is that this low pressure system is going to develop at the surface on the west coast and go underneath the ridge. So Traditionally, you'd see a low pressure system here work back up to the north and to the east, spreading rain and snow and then bringing down cold air on the other side of it. Now, this is Saturday at 9 p.m. As we go into the weekend, you see that low stays down to the south. Remember, the blocking pattern is keeping a ridge right here, so everything gets squished more to the south rather than opening up to widespread rain and cold temperatures. Again, bit unusual pattern and a significant amount of rainfall coming in to the southeast. Talk about Max, North Dakota, partly cloudy, high around 51 degrees, low of 25. Baker, Montana, partly cloudy, high of 59, low of 28. Portland, Maine, partly cloudy, high of 36, with a low temperature around 24 degrees. Each day, 17 people in the U.S. die waiting to get a new organ. More than 100,000 people right now are on the nation's transplant waiting list. As we've been telling you, researchers are now turning to pigs to help fill the gap in the desperate need for organs. Dr. Sanjay Gupta got incredible, rare access to a research farm that is hoping to do just that. These pigs could one day provide a nearly endless supply of organs to save humans. Kidneys, hearts, livers, it's called xenotransplantation, and what you are watching at this research facility has never been seen by the public before. We usually try to limit this to only the staff that takes care of the animals. We very rarely let other folks come in. Right? Mike Curtis is my guide today. He is CEO of eGenesis. That's a company devoted to raising pigs to try and solve the organ shortage crisis. I got to tell you, I did not know what to expect. <laughs> it's powerful just to be here with these pigs. These two and those three and the little guy here, they're fully edited. All these piglets can carry a total of 69 edits to their genome. That makes them among the most genetically modified mammals on the planet. How much 
change has to happen to that, that pig genome in order for it to actually become more compatible with the human. Our approach is really three-pronged, where we're trying to reduce the risk of, of disease transmission from the porcine donor to human. We're editing in a way that reduces or eliminates rejection, and then we add genes to control rejection. They do all of this with the help of CRISPR, the gene editing tool that allows scientists to manipulate the cell's DNA, knocking out or adding in genes. In this case, to make a pig's organs more compatible with the human recipient. To keep the consistency of the genetics, we establish the cell line and use cloning to produce consistent donors. It's akin to what was done with Dolly back in the 90s, cloning. It is essentially a modern-day assembly line of standardized, genetically modified pigs. We've selected the Yucatan mini pig because fully grown, they're about 70 kilos, 150 pounds. Right, so the organs are correctly sized for a human recipient. You know, it's kind of amazing. As much as we talk about the really intricate science of gene editing, ultimately you got to get the size right. That's right. Less than 1% of the people who die every year die in a way that they could ever even be considered um, as organ donors. And so even if you optimize everything, there still wouldn't be enough organs. In the vascular Dr. Robert Montgomery is the director of the Transplant Institute at NYU Langone Health. He's also the recipient of a heart transplant. I had a heart transplant five years ago. I had seven cardiac arrests and I still wasn't sick enough to be able to draw an organ. That experience became a rallying cry for him. We need a sustainable, renewable source of organs from something else other than humans dying. Are animals the answer to that? I think animals are the answer to that. Specifically, pigs. Besides the size similarities, pigs also have several piglets with each pregnancy, making them a quickly scalable source of organs. One day, you might even see facilities like this all over the country. We've been doing research on xenotransplantation for decades. Pig organs into monkeys and doing gene edits, and that work has progressed. But there was still this question of, are those results translatable to a human? Had we learned everything there was to learn about transplanting these organs into non-human primates? I think there were diminishing returns. The problem was the FDA still wasn't ready to give the green light to transplanting a pig organ into a human being. So Montgomery proposed a provocative idea. What if the first human recipient was brain dead? Their heart's still beating. They can be maintained on a ventilator, and you can really see what the human response is going to be. On September 25, 2021, Montgomery performed the first ever genetically modified pig kidney transplant into a brain dead human. And it worked for 54 hours. But each time they tried, the results got better and better. We've done this five times. The first four, two kidneys and two hearts were just for three days. But this last kidney was for two months. It's a much healthier looking. He and his team shared the findings from their last patient with me. See that red? Yes. That's hemorrhage. We did have a mild rejection, and we were able to test to make sure that we can treat that, you know, using sort of conventional um, anti-rejection drugs. Then, in January of 2022, for the first time in history, 
A team at the University of Maryland Medical Center transplanted a genetically modified pig heart into a living human being, someone who was not brain dead. It was allowed by the FDA's compassionate use pathway for experimental treatments, something used when a patient has no other options left. Right, a patient imminently facing death, why wouldn't you try? But how far are we still to this becoming a reality? I think for the right patient, we're going to see it in the next couple of years. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Pigs that could save human lives. So these are large whites. These are the sows that we use to do the embryo transfers in. You know, I never expected to feel like I was immersed in a really scientific sort of place hmm. in the middle of a, of, a, of a pig barn. There's the equivalent of five or six Nobel Prize discoveries. Cloning is one of them. The discovery of CRISPR is another one. Aloe transplantation, all Nobel Prize winning discoveries. We're integrating all of those to make this a reality. Up next, from animals that save people to people who save animals. USDA, more than a quarter of U.S. producers have farmed or worked on a ranch for 10 years or less. Carl Wiggers of This Week in Louisiana Agriculture recently met a young family that's expanding their new farming operation to match their big dreams. When the sun comes up, it's time for the rushing family to get to work, even for two-year-old Porter. Heavy, heavy, heavy. These calves spend only a few months here on their farm but this is the calf that started this all 12 years ago. This is Lucky. Yeah, he holds a really special place in our heart. Somebody gave us a uh, Jersey bottle calf to uh, get started. He was dying, they were gonna let him die, and my wife, she says she couldn't let him go, so we brought him home and we doctored on him and Googled and YouTubed all kinds of videos and we got him better and um, watched him grow and it was something that we enjoyed doing. He was our first baby, he started it all. He gave us like the passion to like see what we can do, you know, and I always, I have a big heart for the underdog and he was the underdog. Lucky opened the door for Matt and Macy to teach their children responsibility. And they still fight for the underdog, buying calves that are usually less desirable at the local cell barn and helping them thrive. When someone asks him about his passion, he claims the farm. A lot of people said that it's bred into you. We're first generation farmers, you know, we're the first people in our families, me and my wife, to do this, but something about being out here, you know, some people like to run, some people like to play golf. Like, we like to raise cattle and this is just our stress relief. It's fun to wake up and not to see what challenges we're gonna face that day, but also like when we do take a sick one and we move them up and we watch them and then the next day we check on them. It, to see that progress, it just gives us that reassurance that like we're doing something right. Something else that felt right was expanding their farm with this land in Kentwood, Louisiana. We were looking for a dairy because of the setups in the barns. You know, they all kind of, all the pens lead back to the barns. And that's what we need doing this. And we're just going to use it to basically grow our operation. We're looking to grow tenfold, basically. You know, we can buy cattle every week, you know, starting doing that, where now we're kind of, space limited. So doing that, you know, it's really going to help us expand our operation. Considering this started with a bottle-fed dairy calf named Lucky, it's hard to imagine how big their farming dream has grown. Matt and Macy say they are proud to play even a small part in putting food on your table. If we're in like the grocery store or something, and, you know, and you see people in there, look, it's cool to think that like we have a part of that. We have a hand in that. Like, you know, when I wake up in the morning and no matter how tired I am and I go feed the cows and I check on the sick ones, it is really rewarding. 
In Ethel, Louisiana, I'm Carl Wiggers for This Week in Louisiana Agriculture. And our thanks to Carl Wiggers and This Week in Louisiana Agriculture for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Davis. Have a great day.